53, we've been looking at this great passage, the great summit of biblical prophecy of the Lamb of God. We, last week we looked from Genesis to Revelation to see the Lamb is the central theme of the, and of course atonement by blood, the central theme of the entire Bible, how that the Lamb was required all the way back in the days of, of uh, Cain and Abel how that he was provided in the days of Abraham. We saw the, the character that we saw that it had to be slain uh, in, uh, with the Passover and with the, the, in Exodus. We saw the uh, character of the Lamb without blemish and without spot in the book of Leviticus. We see in the book of Isaiah, the person, the Lamb is a person. It was, the Lamb was a picture of the person who was coming. Uh, the Lamb of God, without blemish and without spot. We saw in the, John the Baptist in, in, in the New Testament where he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. And that was, of course, uh, the identity of the Lamb. The Lamb as a person, and now he is singled out as the person who came. And then we saw him named in the book of, of Acts where Philip took the very passage that we're going to read this morning and that the Ethiopian eunuch was reading, and he said, this lamb was Jesus Christ. And so we see the lamb all the way through to the book of Revelation, where there's uh, several more there, but we'll, uh, uh, three more. But uh, to the very end of the Revelation, chapter 22, where he's the, the lamb is now the king of the universe. And so we see from the requirement of the lamb to now Jesus being the lamb of God, and of course being uh, the lamb that was slain, and yet the, la- la- the lamb that will reign forever and ever. And so, and of course, the redemption by the blood of that lamb. And so we see that, of course, the Lord Jesus, in verse 40, 50, chapter 53, we'll begin reading in verse 1. Who has believed our report? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, And as a root out of a dry ground, he has no form nor comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, there was no deceit in his mouth. 
Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief when he made his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he has poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressions, and he bore the sins of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we can come before you this morning and thank you for the price that was paid, the price that was planned to be paid from the from the foundations of the earth for our sin. We thank you, Lord, that uh, you paid it all, that there's uh, nothing that we can do to to gain it outside of trusting you totally and giving our lives to you. So we pray, Lord, this morning as we look at the great marvel of the Lamb of God who was slain and yet rose again and now reigns forever. We pray, Lord, that uh, as we believe you by faith, as we take you into our hearts and into our minds, oh, Lord, that you would change us by the power of your word, that you, Lord, would fill us with your spirit and that uh, we believe your report. We realize there's a lot of people in the world that don't. So how we pray, Lord, that you will help us to take the word and that you would open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan into yourself. Bless, Lord, as we look into your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, last week we were looking at uh, the basic, there's five, 15 basic active verbs that we have here that uh, we see that the Lord did. We see, first of all, the first seven deal with our. I like the, the pronouns our. Sometimes when you study the Bible, you need to look at the verbs as well as the, the nouns. It's a good English lesson. But uh, we see that the Bible tells us that he bore our griefs, that he carried our sorrows, now, he's looking back because there's a lot of people that don't believe that. You know, who believe this report? Who, who believes that Jesus did all that? And, of course, we're living in a world today. In fact, I was listening. I think it's over 80% of Americans uh, consider themselves Christians, and yet uh, 20% really don't even believe the Bible's the Word of God. So, uh, you know, it's one of those things. Uh, who really believes it other than just nominally? And so, uh, yeah, the devil believes there's a Jesus Christ. He fears and trembles. So it's not just believing that there is one, it's what have you done with him. And so we see that, uh, that uh, he, who has believed our report? He has borne our griefs, he has carried our sorrows, he was wounded for our transgressions, and we said transgressions are our actions, and so as a result of that, we are, uh, he, he bore our sins on the cross, he was bruised for our iniquities. Iniquities, of course, uh, we realize it's twisted thinking. And so he is, he, we were enemies in our minds by our wicked works. He, the chastisement of our peace was upon him. The idea of that, of course, is that uh, he paid the price so that we could have peace. 
It's kind of like a soldier going to war. We, we memorialize them in a couple of months because of what they did that we can have peace. Well, he paid the price. He died for our sins. He paid the ultimate. And of course, by his stripes we are healed. And again, you want to caution people, that is not uh, God saying that, uh, that, you know, like the faith healers on television and everything, you just, uh, no, God wants to heal your soul. Uh, and there again, we see that Isaiah identified what he meant by, by his stripes, stripes were healed, because back in chapter 1, we see that the whole head is sick, which was a Hebrew way of saying you're sick in the head. So, you know, God had to straighten out our minds by, and our, our, because we were enemies in our minds by our own iniquity, our twisted thinking. So he had to turn us from that thinking to the, by, to the grace, by the grace of God to the wisdom of God. And of course, by his, uh, and he laid our iniquity, all of this twisted thinking, this bad, bad philosophy, all the sin of the heart and head and mind and action, He laid all that on him. And so the lamb, which was a picture in the Old Testament, as Abraham, as well as the priest, they would come and place their hands, or the person that brought the lamb would place their their hands upon that lamb, picturing a transfer of that sin to that lamb. And then that lamb was slain, and the blood was shed, was a picture of a greater thing to come when the lamb of God would come and shed his blood for us. And so we see this was what God did for us. And notice the hour and, the, and um, what God has done. And we, the personal pronouns that God gave. And then we're right in the middle of these seven. Actually, there are seven of what uh, man's view and seven of what uh, God's view. But right in the middle of that is the central theme of the entire Bible. And that we see in verse 7, he was oppressed and afflicted. He opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is dumb or silent, so he opened not his mouth. And so, of course, that's exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ did. He could have called 10,000 angels, but he died alone for you and me. He was taken and taken to a uh, kangaroo court, and he didn't defend himself. He went before Pilate, and he didn't defend himself. The one that I like is he went before old Herod, who was wanting to see a miracle, and he didn't even, didn't even speak to Herod. And that was a fun, I mean, if you go before a magistrate, you go before the president of our country, and he says something to you, and you don't answer, that's an insult, wouldn't it be? And the Lord opened not his mouth. And so we see that uh, he did exactly, 700 years later, he did exactly what, Abraham, what uh, Isaiah is depicting here. And so he came and he died for you and me. He was led as a lamb before the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. So we see what God had done. Now we see in the, the last of what we're going to look at this evening or this morning is the, see it from God's side. The atonement from God's side, because notice the pronouns change. And now all of a sudden, it's about what my, and what my servant has done, and what, what it pleased the Lord, and what God, what God did here. And so we look at the crucifixion from God's point of view. 
And so we notice now in verse, um, verse 8, he was taken from prison and from judgment. Was he not thrown in prison? And uh, who was the guy that was in there with him that got let out? A guy named Barabbas. And so we see, and, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off. The word, that's a, that's a Jewish phraseology, meaning not, he was cut off with disgrace. In other words, uh, a Jew wanted to be buried with his family. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? I mean, it was a desecration to be buried out somewhere away from your family. The kings wanted to be buried with the kings. And whenever, they, whenever the prophets would come and pronounce judgment, so you won't be buried with your fathers. And so he was cut off. Was he buried with his family? No. He was put in a stranger's grave. And it was a very specific grave because God goes on and tells us he was cut off from the land of the living and for the transgression notice, of my people. So notice now, look, this is what God has done. It's for my people that he was stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich at his death. And we talked about that last week. That the grave had to be a, a clean grave with no one ever buried in it. It couldn't be a family grave because the Lord, back in, uh, in Psalm 16, 11, it says that the, the Lord would not, he would not allow his servant to see corruption. And for a Jew to touch something dead was to make him unclean. He was perfect and he was clean even in a clean grave. He did not suffer corruption. Now, I just love that about uh, good old jo Joseph Arimathea. He gave his grave for a weekend. Isn't that great? And so, uh, and the, but uh, he, he was from a borrowed grave. But the most interesting thing about all this is that we don't know any, we don't know where he was buried. We don't know, we don't have a, a piece of his clothing. We don't have anything about our Lord Jesus. Why don't we have that? Because if we had it, we'd be going and worshiping like Mecca. But no, it was an empty grave that uh, lost its identity. And although some people think they have found it, whatever, uh, we won't know until we get to heaven. And so we don't have a sliver of the cross. We don't have a piece of his clothing. We don't have anything but the witness of man. Because God says he is spirit. And if we're going to worship him, we don't worship him by putting a cross up here or by putting an altar up here and all that. No, we worship him because he's the living Savior that we can talk to today. Did we talk to him already this morning? Why? Yes, we did. And so we see that he did exactly what he said. And that this is the progress uh, that... We have, and so we want to look at some of these the theological terms that you hear about. But uh, and I don't want to give you a theological class this morning, but I do want us to be familiar with what we talk about when we talk about redemption, or the big word like propitiation or whatever. And so we see first of all these seven traits or these seven verbs that God uses on this side of what He did: seven of our, now seven of His that what he did, seven that what, uh, what the Jesus did for us, and now what God did for us through Jesus, or God the Father, of course, uh, and Jesus working with him, uh, the Trinity. But first of all, notice he says he was cut off. That means he was slain. Uh, um, and this is substitutionary atonement. You hear the word atonement. Atonement means that you make up for something that was lacking. 
you'll hear about a baseball player. He atoned for his mistake. He hit a home run. Well, he made up for the error. Well, the Lord Jesus made up for our sin by dying on the cross. The Lord Jesus, God the Father said, the soul that sinneth shall surely die. And death in the Bible is a separation from God. And Cain separated himself from God, and man has been separating himself from God ever since, have they not? And so we see that he made atonement. He, he made up, he paid the price. He took care, or he made up throughout his action what men failed to do. And so he did it with substituting. Notice he was stricken um, for, his, for my people. Um, he became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. We see in Matthew 27, 57, uh, he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich um, in his death. And so we see again that, um, that he was cut off. He was separated from, from even, even his God. Remember he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because God the Father looked away from God the Son because he became sin, and God cannot look upon sin. And so we see that the Lord Jesus became sin for us. We think of the pictures that we see of uh, the cross, and you see some form of a man up there, whatever, and he's, he doesn't, looks comparatively not that bad. But a couple of weeks ago, I put a picture up. I remember the picture that we had of the lamb that was ready? And I had more comments about that picture. I had Evelyn put it up for us. And, uh, oh, that was ugly. I mean, you put that little lamb up there, and it's got it, it's tied. And, boy, that was, a, well, folks, the Lord Jesus, that was, he was marred, as it tells us in the, the prayer, uh, chapter 52, the last few verses, that he was marred so bad that you couldn't even tell he was a man. I mean, the cross was ugly. It was not pretty. It was not an ornament that you wear on your ears. It was a cursed be any man who was hung on a tree. It was a, a sign of curse. If you took up your cross, then you were a walking dead man. You were, take, you were going to the place of your execution. And it wasn't a very pretty picture. See from his head, his hands and feet, his sorrow and love flow mingled down. Folks, I mean, all that blood that was coming from his head, his feet, his, the, his, his torso was, was made into a hamburger meat. I mean, he wasn't a good looking person to look at on the cross. It was a filthy, vile, bad stuff. He was marred so bad that the Bible tells us in Isaiah 52 that you couldn't even tell he was a man. That's pretty bad, isn't it? There again, he became sin. That's, if you say, you won't say, well, what does God think of sin? Look at the cross. Look at Jesus on the cross. Look at the Lamb of God on the cross. That's what God thinks of sin. Does God hate sin? He hates sin. And so for people to say, well, you know, I can live the way I want to and God forgives me and we have all this uh, prosperity gospel out there and God wants me to be happy and, and that he's not going to convict me. Well, no, you just look at sin and we're all sinners. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God and think, just think of what God thinks of sin. You can't play around with it. God hates sin. 
And so we see that he became sin for us. And you say, well, how could he become sin for us? Because he wasn't the Lamb of Man, he was the Lamb of God. And folks, I like you, but if I've got to choose between you and one of my children, I'll have to choose my child, all things being equal. I think you understand what I'm saying. And you better be that same way with your children because they mean more to you than this church or, or me. Amen? I hope so. But there again, the Lamb of God was able to take away the sins of the world because he meant more to God the Father than the whole creation combined. And he could die for everyone because he meant more. to He, he was a sacrifice of infinite, infinite value. But the precious blood of Jesus that we see that Peter talks about. And so, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? And that word whole, is when we talk about salvation, salvation is that no longer are we alienated or cut off from God, but now we are made whole. We have a God-sized vacuum in our heart that God fills when we become a child of His. And as a result, we see that that atonement is made and that we have now become a child of God. He's made up for our errors through his death on the cross. And so we see, first of all, the substitutionary or the atonement. And when you hear the word atonement, that means that uh, Jesus made up for your failings. Aren't you glad? And so then the second thing we see as we look on in this passage is that he says in, uh, in verse 10, notice first of all, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Lord God the Father. It pleased him. Now, does that mean he was sitting up there in heaven? No. He said that the whole idea here is the word that we get propitiation. And that means that he, was, uh, you, uh, uh, he has put him to grief. And he made his soul an offering for sin. The word propitiation means he was satisfied with the payment if you owe, let's say that you owe a car, a, owe a car. Let's, well, we got a, uh, a car salesman here, a sales lady here, um, and uh, she has someone that comes in and she says, okay, this car is going to cost $20,000. And, um, and I think she just had a problem with this where they wanted to give a credit card. Well, they can't take credit cards today because of what you can do with all that. I mean, that's uh, too much fraud going on. And so the lady has to have cash or the person has to have cash. Well, if I come in and say, you know, uh, I will pay the $20,000 on the car. <laughs> yeah, but uh, if I could. Um, then, and if Anna took it, then she would be satisfied with the payment. And she would write out a little certificate saying, this car belongs to so-and-so. Not to me, but so-and-so. Because I propitiated. I satisfied the debt. Now, Anna would be very happy if uh, there'd be a lot of people out there that would write a $20,000 check. But the, there again, for anybody. But there again, that's the idea of propitiation. It's the idea that God was satisfied with the price that was paid. But what can satisfy God? What can wash away my sins? What can satisfy God? Can my good works out, uh, satisfy God? Can my church membership satisfy God? 
Can my coming before the altar and partaking of the communion or Eucharist or whatever, can that satisfy God? Nothing will satisfy God, the Father, outside of the blood of Jesus Christ. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. Can you imagine Moses? Whenever uh, they were back in the the people, wait a minute, Moses, uh, that's a pretty dirty thing. You have to offer that that lamb and we're going to sacrifice it and all that. And you know, my family, they they think it's kind of gross. Uh, Why don't we just uh, give a little bit of money or whatever? And what did what did Moses? He said, he said, when when the Lord sees the blood, he will what pass over you. Nothing but the blood would satisfy, and it had to be the blood of the Lamb. And so we see in this, in this is love. Not that we love God. Notice that love always takes the initiative. God loved us first, for God so loved the world. And so love is, always takes the initiative. We talked about that in Sunday school. But in, the, in this is love, not that we love God, but that he first loved us. And sent his son to be, there's that word, propitiation for our sins. So whenever you read 1 John now, you know what it means. It means he satisfied the demand that was placed for the penalty of our sin. And so we see the propitiation. He satisfied, and God the Father, when he sees the blood, when we realize, when we come to the Lord Jesus, and ask him to forgive us of our sins and to come into our hearts to save us, then the Lord Jesus is, becomes our blood sacrifice. And that's why he says, come now, let us reason together, back in Isaiah chapter, chapter 1. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though your sins be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. What is he talking about there? It's because... Whenever the God the Father, whenever we reason with God and we realize that we're a sinner and we come and throw ourselves on His mercy, then He looks through, and by the way, you look at sin, sin is red in the Bible, not black. And so though your sin be red like crimson, when, Jesus, when God the Father looks through the blood, it's like us looking, I like the illustration uh, back when I was a a teenager kid or whatever, uh, we had uh, these little glasses that you'd put on, and if they were red, then you would, whatever you looked at that was red would be white. If it was blue, whatever you looked through, whatever was blue would be white. And so whenever the Lord Jesus, when God the Father looks through the blood of Jesus Christ, what does he see? Our sins be red like crimson, what shall they be? Whiter than snow. And so we see it's the blood of the Lord Jesus that becomes a propitiation, the satisfaction for our sins. And so we see as he goes on now, and this, this, this whole passage, the reason we call it the summit is because it's very difficult to get it through in, uh, in one, well, how many weeks have we been on it? It's the, it's the kingpin of the entire scripture. It's the center part of everything we believe about the Lord. And so we see that... Uh, in verse 11, he tells us, he, he shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. He said, by his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many. Now, there's another key word. We see it all the way through the book of Romans. Romans is a law book. 
And we begin in Romans chapter 1, and we see the degradation of man. As we knew God, we didn't, we didn't glorify him as God, and neither were we thankful, and we went off into all the sins that we see today, the degradation at the end. Chapter 2, we see that um, man, uh, that we're, man sold himself in the slave market of sin. And one of the Romans knew a lot about that. And man became enslaved to sin. Folks, people out there today, uh, I feel sorry for them because they're sinful. And, and, my, and we, are all, we are all sinful, but uh, they're, they're enslaved to it and they can't get out of it. They don't even know what they're stumbling at. How sad, as the Bible says, they don't know what they stumble. But he says, by my knowledge, my servant shall justify now, chapter 3 tells us that there's none righteous, no, not one. That's verse 10. Then he goes on in chapter uh, 3, verse 23, he says, for the, uh, he tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But I love that, but God. He tells us that, um, that there's no difference for for the sin, for all of sin to come short of the glory of God, but then being justified freely by His grace, we were justified. I like to the little acrostic you can use is just if I had never sinned. He went before the court of heaven, and God the Father says, "Since I've looked through the blood, I declare you not guilty." And then he gives a great explanation of that in chapter 4 where we see Abraham believed God and it was counted, it was imputed, it was given to him righteousness. Folks, it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but it's according to his mercy he saved us. And it's not because I earned it, it's because God gave it to me. He justified me. Not because of anything I did, but because what he did for me on the cross. And so when I come before him and accept Jesus Christ as my Savior and I give my life to him and I believe, when you see believe on, that's the word believe into, I take him as my Lord and my Savior and I want to follow him, then I am justified. I'm not any better than anybody else in the world. I'm still a sinner, but God the Father looks through the blood of Jesus Christ and though my sins were as scarlet, they become as white as snow. Isn't that great? That's what God did for you and for me. And so we see that he justified many. And then we see also in verse 11, as we go on, he says, he shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. There's that propitiation again. And by his, by his knowledge, my righteous servants shall justify many, and he shall bear their iniquities. And the word bear there is he'll pay for their, he'll, he'll bear the cost. He bared the price, and we get the idea of payment. Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. And that's the great word we have in the New Testament of we've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. He bore the cost. He paid the price. Of course, satisfaction is that that's what it costs and you pay it, but he redeemed us. He bought us out of the slave market of sin. And now we are servants of his. We are redeemed. And as a result, we see that even First Peter tells us 
knowing that you were not redeemed by corruptible things. There's nothing you can do to pay it. If it's a sacrifice of infinite value, I mean, it's, there's nothing in the world more precious than the Lord Jesus' blood, then who are we to come and try to offer a trinket to the Lord? There again, we want to play that, uh, that game with the $20,000. What if, what if I just said, you know, I got an old class ring. I think it's worth $100. Now, unless it's a really special ring, I don't think it's going to satisfy the payment of that car. Do you? Oh, my church membership. Oh, isn't that good? My good outweighs. I don't even know how bad I am. How can I know, how can I know my good can outweigh my bad? If I'm just good to my fellow man. Isn't that a great st- statement that people say? Oh, boy, I look back on some pretty bad things that, uh, I, that I've done to my fellow man. When I say that, I don't, I don't, I'm not a criminal, but I think you understand what I'm saying. I could have done a lot better. But here we see, knowing this, that we were not redeemed by corruptible things like silver and gold, but with the, uh, with, uh, by your vain conversation or your aimless conduct, uh, received by tradition from your father. So <laughs> it came down. You got it honestly. You got it from your daddy. Uh, but with the precious blood of Jesus as a a lamb without blemish and without spot. We were redeemed. There's only one way to be redeemed. And it's not by comparing comparing our religions and coming up with the best. There's no other man, there's no other name given under heaven, given among men, whereby men must be saved. And what's the name of that? That's the Lord Jesus Christ. It's only his blood. So don't get into this inclusive thing where People say, well, as long as you're sincere, it doesn't matter what religion. No, there's, if that's the case, let's just get rid of missionaries. We don't need missionaries. No, it's only by the blood of the Lamb that men are saved. We are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And then we see in verse 12, also, therefore I will divide him a portion. Now here's his reward. This is, he's risen. Notice uh, he's alive. So he's, uh, he's died, but now he's living again. He says, and I will divide a portion with the great and he will divide a spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul unto death and he was numbered with the transgressors. And of course, we know of him being numbered with the transgressors on the cross. But he was also numbered with the transgressors before the cross. Remember when he was uh, uh, with the John the Baptist, and uh, the, the people were saying this man, or they said that John the Baptist is uh, full of demons. And then when, John, when the Lord was eating and drinking, then they were saying he's a glutton. So you can't please those people. So, you know, John the Baptist was very disciplined with his way he ate, and yet the Lord ate like normal people. So uh, John the Baptist was filled with demons, and the Lord Jesus was a glutton. So, you know, you can't please people. You know, we see that in politics today, don't you? But uh, there again, then you think about uh, when Matthew was saved and he went to his house. He's a friend of sinners and of publicans. Same way with Nicodemus. They always numbered him with the whom? With the transgressors. And so, yes, but he was, that's where we get the word incarnation. The idea that uh, he was made flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. So he walked with the common man. I'm so glad that he didn't walk in the palaces. 
I'm glad that he wasn't a man of a great, uh, well, he was of great intellect, but he didn't, he wasn't a college professor. I'm glad he was down there with, when you go to India, you could talk to the lowest caste and say he was a friend of sinners, that he loved the lowest. He was born in a stable like many of you, not like the upper Brahmins who look at you as unclean. He was just a common man. Isn't it great that you can win a, a Brahmin to the Lord or to what's that lowest class that they call in, in India? I mean, whosoever will can come to know the Lord because he was, our, he was incarnated or he became flesh. And of course, we see that um, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, Paul said to the Philippians, who being in the form of God, thought it not equal, uh, not, uh, did not consider it to be equal uh, with God, uh, did not consider it evil, uh, evil to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Taking upon himself the form of a servant and coming in the likeness of a common man, a laborer, a carpenter, a fisherman, a shepherd. Aren't you glad that we have a God like that? He knows how to reach to the, to the lowest depths or to the highest mountains to reach people with his precious blood. Whosoever will may come. And so we see now that uh, he was numbered with us. So he identified with us. It was he that came down. Heaven came down in glory. <coughs> Filled my... <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> in glory, fill my soul. <coughs> excuse me. I knew it was... I was hoping this wasn't going to happen. <coughs> I made it almost through. <clears throat> Five more minutes, Lord, please. But, uh, <clears throat> but uh, therefore, he said, uh, his own, but then we notice also his glorification because he goes on, he says, um, he shall see the labor of his soul because he bore the sins of many. In other words, there's a reward there. He's going to look back and see what he did on the cross. And of course, we know that's exactly what he did. And so we, we're looking unto Jesus, as the writer of Hebrews says. We're looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He despised that shame. He wasn't happy to go to the cross. He despised the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. He's glorified today, isn't he? And so I serve a risen Savior. He's King of kings and Lord of lords, but he was willing to come down and be the lowest of the low to save people like me. And so we see his glorification. And so I don't worship some carpenter today. I don't worship some guy that came to earth and didn't know what he was doing and some martyr that laid in some unmarked grave. No, I serve a risen Savior who's in the world today. He's the God of God and the King of kings. He's the King of glory. The King of love, my shepherd is. And so he's glorified. And we do all things, what? I do all things to please the Father, he said. But uh, Paul tells the Corinthians, 
He says, whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the what? Glory of our Lord Jesus. The glory of God. And so we see his glorification. And then the one other thing he's doing for us. You realize that we've got a God in heaven that prays for us? He intercedes for us? He's even interceding. And when we pray for our loved ones that we've mentioned about that we want to see saved, the Lord Jesus loves that and he's praying with us. Isn't that great that you have a prayer partner like the Lord Jesus? There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. And we notice that he says he makes intercession for the transgressors. Are we a transgressor? I am. And yet, I love what, uh, again, the writer of Hebrews was writing back to the Jews, and he, he sees these things that happened, and especially Isaiah and other places, where he sees what the Lord did, and he's explaining to these New Testament Christian Jews exactly what all those sacrifices meant and what they were a picture of to come with the Lord Jesus. And so as we see in Hebrews chapter 7, he says, and he made intercession for the transgressors. Therefore, he is able also to save to the uttermost those that come unto God through him. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. So the Lord, what's he living for today? To make intercession for people like you and me. What does intercession mean? It means that when I intercede for somebody, that means I'm a go-between. I'm, I am seeking the best for that person through somebody that is greater or somebody with the final authority. And so if I intercede for you, and I've done this before, where someone has gotten in trouble with the law, and uh, they'll ask me, will I be a good uh, character witness or whatever? And sometimes I've been able even to go and talk to a sheriff or uh, even a lawyer sometimes. Or sometimes they'll call me. And they'll ask me. And when I intercede for them, and I'm telling them that I think you can trust this person. I think that, uh, you know, I, I think we can help work with this person. Now, of course, unfortunately, there are times that I can't. But, uh, you know, here again, the only time you can is because you know that this person is not really repentant. So when, the, when I'm coming to the Lord, what is he doing? He's interceding. The Lord Jesus is saying to God the Father, you know, we can accept this man in. We can accept him because he has come and he has accepted me as his personal savior. And as a result of my name, I can place my name on him and he could be reconciled. And he could be entered into the Lamb's book of life. Isn't that where we want? And so we see this great passage where the Lord Jesus has done it all for us. Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. What a great Savior we have. He paid the price. There's nothing else to pay. All we can do is give him our hearts. And that's enough. And do you know him? All to turn from your way and to accept him as your savior. To turn from your works and to ask him to come into your heart and to lead you and to guide you 
in the paths of righteousness. Oh, that's what God wants. Turning from our way. Come now, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, come to me and they shall be white as snow. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can call you Father this morning because of what our intercessor did for us on the cross. We thank you that uh, we can know salvation, full and free, because of your promises, that whosoever comes unto me, you will in no wise cast out. Thank you for being our great Savior. All that we are, all that we hope to be, is tied up in your precious promises that we know we can believe, we can stand upon them, we can live, we can rely upon them, we can grow upon them as you intercede for us and teach us the ways that we should go. Bless your people, Lord. Cleanse us from all sin. And Lord, use us as your servants to see others come to know you. As you are the intercessor, may we be the intercessor of others, as we would pray to you and see others come to know you. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.